Are you looking to learn more about investing in the central Indiana real estate market? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast with TNH Realty, where we discuss all things related to investing in the central Indiana real estate market. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Tallman with TNH Realty. We are a residential property management company that services the central Indiana market. With me today is a very special guest I'm happy to have on here. His name is Chris Herring. Chris serves as our project manager here at TNH. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Chris, we're recording this on June 1st, 2023. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Five five years of a career that I never expected to have. Yeah, five <laughs> you know? years. Yeah. yeah. Five years are nice milestones. Um, you know, we kind of celebrate those here at TNH. We celebrate all anniversaries, but five years are, are neat. I have a lot of people here that have hit that milestone, which is cool. But yeah. um you know, it's your first podcast with me and it's uh first, first guy with us. And, um, you know, it happens to be at your five year anniversary. So I thought that that's kind of cool. So it's great, great timing. And it's, uh, you know, it was for the longest time I was the new guy. It took, I think like a year and a half before the next person was hired in and, and, you know, people just don't leave here, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we got, got a great team and yeah. I'm hoping, hoping for at least another 16 years. That's what I'm aiming for. All right, let's do it. So, so I thought I'd bring you on here today to discuss the keys to managing a successful residential construction project. So, Chris, you wrote a really nice blog. You know, I love blogs. Um, and you wrote a really nice blog recently about this topic. But I thought it made sense to bring you on here and flesh out the topic a bit more, give people some more context about it. Uh, you're one of our resident experts here at TNH in terms of project management. And I look forward to to digging into this topic a bit more. But at first, I want to set the stage for our listeners. So just indulge me for a minute here. Um, you know, almost all property managers here in central Indiana and around the country, they lease and they manage homes, right? I mean, that's the basic duties of a property manager. Where you're going to lease that home for a client, you're going to manage it, which means you're dealing with some maintenance, you're collecting rent, you're providing statements, you're doing all that stuff. But so that that's kind of a given um, around the country. But at TNH here, we've expanded those services quite a bit. And one of the things we like to promote here is our one-stop shop mentality and service we provide our clients. And generally what that means and how we present it, it's very prominent on our website, is that we provide, um, uh, we have a brokerage rather in our company that helps our clients purchase investment homes we rehab those investment homes where necessary, which is where you come in. And then of course, we were going to do the leasing and management. And then at the end of the sales, at the end of that cycle, if the client's ready to sell, then we can help them sell it. So we provide what I call just, you know, that beginning to end service for investors. And we're really proud of that. And what, a, you know, Chris, it's interesting that you, you are actually part of our brokerage team. I am. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so when we decided to make that move a while back, um, because the reality as we see it is that a lot of the homes that are purchased by our clients through our brokerage need a lot of work. Right. Yeah. And that, <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And that makes sense because our clients love value add properties. 
Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it allows our clients to become more competitive on the buy side because not everyone wants to take on a big project. So just naturally, we're going to see some of those big projects come through, which is why we set this position up for you to, to manage and work directly with our brokerage and our brokerage clients to make sure those homes get to yep. rent ready status. So again, a lot of those projects can be very involved. There's a ton of details, a lot of vendor coordination, et cetera. So thank you for indulging me. I just kind of want to set the stage with that as to why you're here, why we created this position, because uh, it's a very important position uh, within our company. So Chris, I'll stop talking as much now. You tell me, <laughs> tell everyone about your background, what brought you here and, and kind of your specific day-to-day -day roles here at TNH. Sure. You know, I uh, go all the way back. This is, I'm 50 now, so it's been a while. Um, you know, I started out doing carpet cleaning, restoration work back during the college years um, and then had the opportunity to work for Xerox Business Services, did that for six years. And then a hobby of mine got out of control and uh, just kind of with the the life situation that we had at home, I decided to step away from Xerox, did the uh, the primary caregiving of our kids while I started some small businesses, did that for, you know, I don't know, decade or so, and then sold those businesses uh, and was looking for the what's next kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And the businesses I had, they were, they were customer service, they were seasonal, they were outdoors, it's all sorts of stuff. And I would spend a lot of time away from my kids, you know, especially mm -hmm. on weekends, I was traveling the country doing all sorts of stuff. And it was time to get a little closer to home, you know, raise these, help raise these teenage daughters and get them through life with my teenage son and everything. I didn't want to be that absent parent, right? right. And so I started uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do next and started shadowing Jean Davis, which is a property manager here at Teenage Realty. She's with a different company at the time, uh, just kind of seeing what the investment world looked like, thinking maybe that was the next thing. And yeah, you know, long story short, she was working for a company that needed some some help with some marketing stuff that I was familiar with. Did some consulting for them <laughs> during that time. Their property, or I'm sorry, their project manager quit unexpectedly, and they turned to me and said, "Hey, would you like to to take on this role?" And so I did. The next thing I know, I'm sucked into the real estate world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, did that for a while with them, and uh, you guys had an opportunity. You know, Gene had moved over here, uh, and about I don't know seven months later, you guys had an opportunity to come up for another property manager, and I applied, and well, the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of that's the. That's the background. Try to keep it short and sweet as best I could. And so then, you know, it was, I did two years over in uh, the east side, the Lawrence, primary Lawrence and a little bit of Warren Township and some other stuff and kind of bounced around in, in different territories here in our market for, you know, for TNH. and And uh, really, you know, I'll tell you what the east side is. It's pretty rent heavy as far as number of rental units and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And it can be a, a challenging market sometimes. Right. And I really got got deep or deeper into turnovers and things like that. We brought on, we onboarded some properties from clients pretty consistently where their previous management experience wasn't great. They had a lot of deferred maintenance or, you know, worse, all sorts of interesting things. And, you know, TNH is set up a little differently than most property management companies. And when I kind of explain it to clients, Normally, you would expect a property manager to kind of does all the things, the leasing, the marketing, the tenant and maintenance, all those pieces. And we don't function that way here. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, your property managers, those that have that title are, you know, yeah, they're doing some of their, they're touching some of those things. But we have departments, a leasing department, a tenant and maintenance department, things like that to uh, really take on the, that look, kind of load. And that frees up the property managers to really understand the bones of the property mm -hmm. and how to repair them, you know? And so 
you're, you're, we're more vertical is kind of the way I explain it to people. And it, because of that, we can get deeper in doing those repairs. As you mentioned, you know, some property management companies just don't touch this type of stuff. Right. Because they don't have the knowledge, the skill set, the time, those sort of things. But if you're managing 200 properties and you're trying to do everything, that's a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so as we use, you mentioned, as the brokerage became more of what it is today, um, there were opportunities to go deeper. You know, we had the ability to go deeper and do practically stud up, you know, rebuilds of homes if we needed to. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, thanks for that. So let's dig into our topic today. Um going to kind of follow the blog format a little bit because you start out mentioning that a successful construction project begins with laying the proper groundwork. And there's three things you mentioned, three components, is that the investor needs to have a long-term investment strategy for the property. They need a home inspection report and they need to have an in-person walkthrough. Now, I'll take it from the context of this is when you buy a home, right? So you've right. this is from a, this is a perspective from an investor who buys a home and that, you know, let's assume needs some work and this is so this is the groundwork they need to have again, a long-term investment strategy, home inspection report and an in-person walkthrough. Let's talk about what do you mean when you say the investor needs to have a long-term investment strategy for the property? Tell us a little more there. Yeah, sure. To, to quote the Seven Habits book, beginning, you know, start with the the end in mind, mm-hmm. right? You need to know what you plan to do with this property, how you're going to execute your goals. Um, and there are a lot of different ways. You know, there are some people are going to hold these long-term. Some are going to get out before the maintenance gets heavy. You know, they, everybody's got a different approach to it. Knowing that, knowing how, for lack of a better term, knowing how you're going to dispose of the property, the ways that you might dispose of the property, having more than one exit strategy is important. Right. Um, you know, and so a lot of that, once you understand what you plan to do with the property or what you might do with the property, that's going to help you kind of pare down some of the decisions when it comes to the repairs to the home. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm going to hold a home for three years, five years, I'm going to take a completely different approach than on a home that I might hold for 20 years or longer. You know, and right. most of our clients are planning to hold these long term, 20, right. 30 years, mm-hmm. lifetime. So that's a big part of it. You know, and when I look at an investment strategy, let me back up. So my plan is to invest. You know, I've been working on that. That is still a goal of mine. And I think that's, I'm going to see realization on that here in the next six months or so. Um, I'm looking at a few things. I'm looking at the timeline for owning the property. I'm looking at the initial rehab budget, the funding and the funding reserves, you know, because you're going to need cash after the fact, uh, what the refinancing expectations are, you know, especially with right now with the interest rates being what they are, um, you're going to want to refinance at some point, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we hope that we can get down and maybe see fives or fours. I'd be, I don't know if we'll get south of that, but you know, if I could see a 4% interest rate, I'd be really happy. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know if we'll get there, but we'll find out, uh, you know, and then figuring out deferred maintenance, future maintenance, the timing of those things, you know, we have expected lifespans for things, you know, roofs will last 20 years or 30 years, depending on the, the shingle and HVAC system is going to last, you know, some components are going to last 20 years, some components are going to last 10 and trying to put that in a plan, you know, there's always the anomaly of when that thing decides to fail, but planning it out so that you're not surprised by major expenses. You right. know, those things can be expensive. So Chris, I think what you're saying is like every investor 
Now you just need a plan, right? Simply put, you need a plan for the property. You don't want to just want to yes. buy it and, and just kind of meander around, <laughs> you know, and just kind of go with the flow. You want to plan maybe a couple different plans for the property. So, yep. okay. All right, let's move on to the second part of laying the proper groundwork, and that is a home inspection report. These are huge. We encourage them. Quick thought on home yep. inspection reports. Home inspection reports are worth the money spent, especially if you've got a great home inspector. We, we're, we're fortunate we worked with some that are fantastic. I mean, mm -hmm. to, to the point of almost being pedantic, you know, on some mm -hmm. of those things. Uh, in a home inspection report, you know, there's maybe a misconception on what a home inspection report is going to cover. I've had more than a few clients have expected that's going to tell them every flaw, everything they need to do about a property before they've closed on it. And it's simply not true. You know, a home inspection report is going to identify major defects and inform the client about the condition of the systems and components of the home. It's important to note it is generally geared towards an owner occupant. Mm -hmm. right? It's not looking at it as a business. It's looking at it, you're going to live in it. So it's not going to take things like the cosmetic condition of the home into consideration. You're going to miss a big part of that. It's also not looking at the marketability of the home. They're just saying, hey, this is what the structure of the home looks like. It's in a livable condition. It's not in a livable condition. These are the things you need to do to bring it up to that condition. And, you know, obviously the bank has some skin in the game as well, and they want to make sure the property they have has the value they expect. Right. Yeah, you're at a huge point because I think investors say, well, let's take care of the health and safety. That's four grand. And now I can move my tenant in. No, right. It's, it's a totally different scenario or uh, step in the process to get that cosmetic and marketability down, rentability down to where it's an, it's an appealing product for someone to move in. All right. Right. It's not a, it's not a product yet. Right. It, That's it's, right. A, it's a home. Right. <laughs> it's it is. Right. Okay. And then finally, you mentioned the third component of laying the correct groundwork is having an in, doing an in-person walkthrough. Talk about what that means. So the in-person walkthrough, this is going to be complementary to your home inspection report. Mm -hmm. This is where we're going to take a home and we're going to turn it into a product, right? And there is no substitute for walking a property. You, There are just simply, there are things you can't do from a distance, right? right. You've got to see the property. And here, this is what we're doing is we're looking for those cosmetic items. We're looking at the things that are going to help us with the marketability of the home. You know, we want this home to appeal to a broad range of families. And a lot of owner-occupant homes are tailored to the person that lives there. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. So let's move on to, you know, once you've kind of laid that groundwork, you've got your investment strategy, your home inspection report secured, you've got boots on the ground, basically, which is your in-person walkthrough. Because look, a lot of people listening to this and a lot of our clients, 75% of our clients live out of state. So they need boots on the ground um, to make sure that that things are, the property shaping up, like you mentioned, to be a product. I like that. Um, so once you've kind of laid your groundwork, you got to create a scope of work. All right. So talk about your process in creating an effective scope of work. Yeah, it is not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's going to take, you're going to take all these pieces that we just talked about, you know, your, your, uh, your long-term investing strategy, your home inspection, your walkthrough, you're going to take all those pieces, pull them together and try to come up with a plan or maybe a couple of plans for the property. And there are going to be things that are your hard ceilings that you just can't get past as you know, when I say that, that's your after repair value. That is the number, right? We can't magically create new repair value, you know, increase the repair value by doing finishes and things like that. We might mm -hmm. gain a little bit, but it's not going to be, you know, that big difference. 
So, you know, when we're looking at this, when we're writing this scope of work, having that investment plan sitting next to you is, is key. A um, couple things to be mindful of, you know, construction costs will generally increase three to 5% a year. So deferring maintenance is going to have a real cost on that end because it's mm-hmm. going to be more expensive. It's also going to have an impact on the appraisal of the home. We can't necessarily increase value based on the comps, right? But mm-hmm. things that we don't do are going to decrease the value on the home. And it's also going to decrease the value of the rent maybe right. to the property. So kind of keeping that in mind is important. Um, you know, and when you're writing that scope of work, also know your vendor's capabilities. You know, if you don't, if the vendor isn't good at something, if they're not good at tile, it's going to show and it's going to have an impact. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk next about vendors, because I think um, this is where things get even more challenging. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and I will say, I think, you know, you mentioned three to 5% increase in in construction. I mean, I think we've seen that double, triple, quadruple over the last few years. Those um, costs in, in, during the pandemic, man, were 20, 30%. I mean, windows yeah. went from, you know, 350, 450, a window to 850 or more. Yeah. You know, we saw a full on double yeah. there. So hopefully we're going to see, I think you're right, normally three to 5%, you know, but I just want people to keep in mind that over the last two or three years, that number has been much yeah. higher than that. As the inflation um, ticks up, so and, and the market you know, and products get limited, so right. does the cost. And right. we, boy, we felt it last year, the last year or two. Yeah. So again, let's get back to vendors now. So this mm-hmm. is this is hard. You know, we've talked about here that blue collar is the new white collar. Like these trade people are in such high demand. Um, they're they're charging more um, because there's just not many of them. I heard the other day, and I could be wrong about this. I don't want to be quoted necessarily, but I heard the average age of someone in the trades is like 45. I believe it. Right. So there's not a lot of young people pouring into the trades right now for whatever reason, um, because there's just a ton of opportunity, let's face it. But I digress a bit. So let's let's <laughs> let's talk about breaking down that scope of work and then selecting those vendors again, which is difficult. What is your process and how you you've got you say, look, we need to do these 40 items. All right. Right. Now it's about cutting it into a pie, so to speak, of what vendors you have tell us your process and, and how you think about that. Yeah. And you touch on it. You know, there are some, we have the costs are going up because we have more skilled labor. These are, mm-hmm. these guys have been working, you know, when they're 45 years old, they've been working in the trades, probably 20 years, maybe 30, you know, somewhere right. in that range. Uh, and they demand that wage, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, they're not entry level wages. And so many people have this mindset of find me the cheapest labor. Right. You know, they don't value labor. And the problem is, I'll tell you what, cheap labor is going to give you a cheap product and it's not right. going to look great. Right. But on the other side of that coin, you know, if I bring in a general contract and say, hey, I want your your guys to do all this work. And he is very skilled guys. I'm paying that very skilled labor price, regardless of what work item they're on. Mm-hmm. Right. Hanging blinds isn't something that takes deep skill. Right. Right. I'm not knocking anybody that does that for a living or anything like that. But compare that to an electrician or somebody who does plumbing or understands the structure, you know, structural frame of the home, that's expensive. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, there's there's these simpler things that I call screwdriver work. And so I'm going to, that's first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to break those apart and say, these are the things that are kind of, you know, what I call handyman related screwdriver items, set those aside and then look at my skilled stuff, right? If it, it's electrical, it's plumbing and it's, you know, if we're doing a free, you know, full 
rewiring of a home, if we're doing, you know, new plumbing all throughout, I need a trade guy. I need that plumber. I need that electrician, especially electrical, use an electrician, right? Because right. it, it can burn down a home if you don't do it right. So we look at those pieces and I break those up. Now, I also, you know, I'm working in a bigger system. I'm not just working on a few projects by myself in this in this silo. I have seven other property managers within the company who are bringing, you know, bringing work to the same vendor pool. Mm-hmm. We have maintenance team that's doing the same thing. And we have the seasonality of the business, right? We get, right. we are in the busiest point of the year right now. Sure. Understanding the smaller vendors, they can't, you know, they can't scale up when the work scales up, right? They, if you've got a crew of two or three guys, they can only go at the pace of two or three guys. Mm-hmm. Your bigger vendors can do more things, but they have a layer of support in their company that the smaller vendors don't. They have an office staff or maybe a quality assurance guy or something like that. And you're going to pay for that. Right. If they have an extra layer, there's an extra cost and they're not going to do their work cheaper than anybody else, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we've got to look at, you know, I look at how busy my vendors are. You know, I talk with them regularly, especially my key vendors. Uh, I'm looking at what they're capable of, what the scope of work is calling for. And I try to find the right vendor for the situation at the time. That's the important part. And once I've got that, I can start building my roadmap of how, who I'm going to have do these pieces. And, you know, it's very rare that I'm going to use one vendor for the whole project. I'm going to chop this up. I might use a paint guy. I've got a flooring vendor. I've got, you know, all these different things. I've got cleaners. I I use the analogy sometimes when people say, Hey, shouldn't the, the, the contractor be cleaning up the home? My contractors aren't cleaners, nor my cleaners (laughs) contractors, you know? So it's like, use the person that does it well. That's right. what you want to do. And you want to, you know, and there are budget constraints and things like that that come into play as well. But, you know, as you do this 70, 100 times a year, you know, 70, 100 properties a year, you get pretty familiar with the tempo and things will change with vendors. You know, a vendor might have somebody sick or quit and it can really impact mm-hmm. the availability and, and the capabilities of the business. Yeah, I think that's great. So, like, if we, if we take it to the individual investor level who is trying to manage their own rehab, mm-hmm. right? That becomes really difficult unless you just got so many good relationships with those vendors in the market that you're rehabbing because we're, we're in the front of the line with most of our vendors, right? I mean, they're going to give us priority, but if I'm a vendor, if I'm an investor and I'm trying to do a rehab project, my first, listen, my first rehab project and I'm looking around and I'm calling like, well, this guy says he does electrical. I mean, that's going to be tough, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're not, they don't know you. Um, they, you're, they're, you're going to be in the back of their line, so to speak. Right. I think you can't get fast service. In some cases you may be able to get really good service and good pricing and all that stuff, but it's just developing that vendor network. Um, you know, a couple of podcasts ago, I had a couple of guys on that said, you know, this is the key to it all right now is just making sure you have that vendor network. And fortunately we've been doing this a bit. We've got some really deep relationships with vendors. We do. And, um, you know, they, they make good on their work, but that's, that's about relationships and just making sure that, um, you know, who to call upon when, cause you, you know, great point seasonality. Again, we're going to have more move outs in the next two or three months than we will all year. Um, it's just our busiest time of the year. It's just naturally, you know, our seasonality here. So it's, we're going to be putting our vendors through their paces here, hard and heavy, uh, coming up. So, all right. Let's talk next about funding. Um, money is 
a constraint for almost everybody. You know, there's a certain limit and certain ways you want to go about funding these things. So what are you seeing from a funding perspective with, with investors you work with? Well, you know, right now, cash is king because of the interest rates. So I have a lot of vendors that are coming in who, or I'm sorry, a lot of clients who are coming in who have cash on hand and they're ready to go. Right. Two years ago, money was cheaper. And I was seeing more clients coming in with hard money lenders. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different beast. Right. You know, hard money lenders are a great resource, but they really have an impact on the tempo of the work that we're doing. Right. Right. Okay. So the final thing you talk about in the blog, and probably maybe the most important, um, is the communication. Let's talk about it from the perspective of the community, first from the, from the perspective of the communication between you as a project manager and your vendors, because that's a, that's a, a really important communication channel. Talk about that first. Like how, how do you communicate with them? How frequent all that good stuff? Yeah. And I take the mindset that I deal in information that's, you know, I'm the conduit between the contractors, the vendors, the client, you know, and, and people within TNH as well. And that's what I deal in, right? Communication is critical and that's, it's cliche, but it's true, right? You're in, in my situation, I'm building a team for long-term success. I'm ta- and and the, I have systems, proven battle-tested systems that we've developed over the years through TNH. Then that gives me an advantage because I'm building a relationship in a different way, a deeper relationship, mm-hmm. you know, but boy, uh, you know, getting to know a new vendor is very much like dating. You know, <laughs> it's that's what I tell them. I, when, when I start out with new vendors, I'm like we're just dating. So we're going to talk a lot. We're going to get to know each other. I'm going to have a pretty consistent tempo of touching base with them. Right? right. And I'll outline at the beginning, my expectations of communication, because I have, I'm setting expectations for my clients about when I'm going to communicate with them. I'm going to update them. You're dealing with a home a couple thousand miles away. And it's probably one of the biggest investments of your life. It's a mm-hmm. scary thing. Yeah. Right. So you want to be, you want the people that you work with to be reliable and predictable. And how do mm-hmm. we do that? Communicating, communicating clearly, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, so I will do, so what I do is, you know, I will update my clients once a week. That is my commitment to them. I do that on Fridays. Uh, and what I'm doing in a lead up to that is I'm communicating with my contractors throughout the week, but I'm trying to strike a balance, man. I want to keep those guys. I want to keep the hammers swinging. Right. If the mm-hmm. hammers aren't swinging, they're talking to me. We're losing time. We're losing days on market. We're lo- you know, we're increasing our vacancy. So I try to stay out of their way, let them do their work because I know them. I trust them. Right. And I will touch base with them on, a, on, you know, at least once a week, every Wednesday, Thursday, I'm having meetings with the key vendors. Mm-hmm. I'm also talking with vendors in advance. If I've got steps of work, you know, I've got flooring coming in next week. I'm checking with the guys that are working this week to make sure they're ready to go, that they're going to meet their timeline so that my my contractor for the flooring comes in without a hiccup. You know, the last thing I want is for my con- my flooring contractor to show up on Monday and find out that my painter is only halfway done. Right. Right. I, I need those things to be consistent. Um you know, and a big part of it is they're going to, you're going to teach or sorry, if not teach, but you're going to basically set expectations. You know, mm-hmm. if there's an important thing, you want granite countertops, you better tell your contractor that you want granite countertops, right? Don't let, leave it to them to make the decision. You might end up with a butcher block countertop or something else. So make sure you have good information, in your scope of work that sets your constraints, your requirements, mm-hmm. right? 
Another thing is collaborative problem solving. If you have a good relationship with a vendor, you want the vendor who comes to you and says, hey, I've run into something that I'm not sure how I want to approach it, right? Doesn't mean they don't know how to do it. They're going to ask you for your input, right? Mm -hmm. If a contractor comes to me and says, hey, I'm running a week behind, I'm not going to lose it. You know, I'm not right. going to get mad at them and say, well, you promised and just work harder. I need you that day. All right. Now that I know that information that you run a little bit behind, I can reach out to that flooring guy and say, hey, we're we're a week behind. You know, can you push me off and make an adjustment to your schedule? On the flip side, if I've got good relationships with with vendors, they might reach out to me when they have an opening in their schedule. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've got this slot. Is there something we can jump in? I had a, I had my gla- tub glazer do that to me yesterday. He was planning to be out there in four weeks had some availability. We haven't started the general construction repairs on that property. Sure. Go ahead. Let's do right. that. You know, okay. so having those good relationships with people, it's not just communication. It's being, building a good relationship with them will pay off. Right. That's great. So, okay. Well, I appreciate all that, that recap on, you know, how to do those, you know, just all those different steps I think are so critical and it's laid out really well and to making sure you, you know, you have some really good success with the resident, with your construction project. Now, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not sure we've ever experienced a big project that went exactly as planned, right? No, they never are. <laughs> yeah, because there's just so many things that can happen, particularly when you're working in older homes, you yep. don't know what you're going to run up against. Um, so, but, but, but again, creating that plan, um, you know, executing with those, that scope of work and the vendors regarding or related to it. And then, you know, they're just, really communicating well, um, I think really set yourself, creates the roadmap for, for success, whether you're going to get from point A to B with no, with no issues. That's, that's a different story, but right. at least you've got a plan and how to execute that. So well, that touches on a good point. You know, you talk about never hitting a timeline or, you know, things are going to run a little differently than you expect. Let's call it mm-hmm. that. Right. One of the first questions I get asked as soon as somebody approves the work is when's it going to start? And when's it going to be finished? Mm-hmm. Right. And on a big project, I'm like, I, I can't answer that question. I can tell you that I expect about this much work to happen on a weekly basis. And I'll probably start out with a, hey, we've got a six to eight week timeline for right. this. And I'll put, you know, I'll say, here's my, here's what I normally will do is we get about midway through that project. And that's when that timeline is going to come into, into view. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start to narrow it down. We'll end up hitting timelines, but I can't give you that date on day one. Mm. Right. That's, that's an important thing to understand. Right. Um, You know, and also I will give those timelines. So if my general contractor says, you know, we're going to be done with the painting phase on week five or whatever. Okay. Well, you know, the day after that, we're going with flooring. Well, as we're talking on a weekly basis, I'm reminding them of those timelines. It's more important to be able to hit those timelines. And sometimes, yeah, we may run a little behind on the GC, but there are, there is work we can push to after the flooring. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the flooring crew comes in. We don't miss days with them. We don't have to reschedule anything. I don't want to reschedule my flooring guys. That's one of the toughest things to do. So I keep talking about flooring. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one of those, man. If I, if I miss it, we're going to wait another three weeks. So we're not going to miss it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we can generally catch up, you know, and, and I have the advantage. We have an in-house maintenance team. They do right. a lot of my, what I was mentioning earlier, screwdriver work. Right. Uh, I, I forgot to touch on this. I meant to earlier. So I'm just going to go to a side here. Um, with the smaller screwdriver work, I have the advantage of the maintenance team. The maintenance team works at a time and material rate instead of bidding things out. And what that means is they're going to charge me a fixed rate for their labor and an hourly rate for their labor. And then they're going to charge me the real cost of the materials. 
right? right? They're not marking up materials, they're not doing anything like that. And because of that, you know, if a general contractor quotes out certain items, they're going to give, give me the most likely outcome, the most likely case of when they get into it. If I say, hey, you know, replace this cabinet, they're going to expect some wall repairs and some other things. We're getting a little deeper. It's, it's a little bit beyond screwdriver work. My guys aren't doing cabinets, but, you know, that's a good example of where we might find more things. So we're going to pay a, probably a premium. I mean, if there's a situation where, hey, it just went smoothly, they're not going to give me a discount for it going smoothly, right? Mm -hmm. On the other side of the coin, if it's rough, they're not going to charge me any more for that. They're just going to stick to their price and, you know, they've kind of got some insulation in it, so to speak. Uh, time and material, I'm getting the real cost, right. you know, and that's where I can save on the on the smaller items. 30% is usually what I'm saving versus a general contractor quoting out that item. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah. So... Okay. So let's talk about, let's, let's, let's kind of give people some, uh, an idea of, of the, I guess the uh, scope of work that we can do. What's talk about the biggest project you've ever done. Give me, I don't even know, you know, exact, I don't want to exact addresses or anything like that, but right. tell me about like the, the kind of the, um, the cost of the biggest project we've done just generally. I've had a couple hundred thousand dollar projects. I think mm -hmm. one of them went up as high as maybe 110, 120. Mm -hmm. These were heavy remodels of a home. You know, this was right. redoing kitchens and bathrooms, adding spaces in existing floor plans, right. uh, adding new square footage and, and attics, things like that. Um, there are two that stand out. There's an, there's a property up in Anderson, Indiana that we took on that, you know, you talk about, I was mentioning earlier that you have some homes that are a little quirky because the, the, the owner occupant did it in the style that they needed or they wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. And this particular property had a very, very small kitchen and right next to it, it had a really big laundry space. So utility room. So they like doing laundry. Yeah. Laundry. I don't know what the thinking was, but I mean, that thing was like about eight feet, 10 feet wide. <laughs> and wow. the kitchen was maybe just as wide. Mm -hmm. uh, and then right behind it, they, you had to walk through the kitchen to get to this family room. Uh, and the family room is kind of weird shape and right next to, and there was a door out to the side of the, to the driveway. And then right next to that was this other bedroom they'd added on uh, that had some, some issues because they hadn't done the, the addition quite right with the flashing and, and the roof line and things like that. So we had some work to do anyways. We had to open up walls and stuff like that. And it's an older floor plan. I think it was built in the 1950s, maybe 1960s at the latest. Anyways, uh, what we did is we were able to rework that back area, got rid of the family room because we already had a large living room to begin with. We added a laundry room back there that they didn't have. The laundry room was in the old utility room, right? Mm -hmm. We've kind of reworked a hallway to gain access to that space in the back. Instead of having to go through the kitchen, you could actually go through the hallway that was already existing in the room, in the, in the space. And then we moved the wall between the kitchen and the laundry room over you know quite a few feet which meant we had to replumb some stuff we had to mm -hmm. we had to do a, a an electrical box replacement anyways for some rework on the electrical box and we needed a new furnace we needed a new water heater so it was a good time to move all those things at once right we weren't doing some rework and things like that I was now able to take this very narrow kitchen widen it out modernize it increase the counter space right add a pantry and put an island in and at the same time, we will also also open up that that uh, entryway between the living room and the kitchen and made it feel the whole space felt much, much bigger and modern. Mm -hmm. And boy, that thing went to market and it was gone instantly. Right. You know, nice. so that's yeah, that's a, you know, a, 
we talked about this for a minute yesterday. It's the real estate term. Uh, the layout was like functionally obsolete. Yes. Yep. Right. I, I mean, love it's just, that phrase. It, yeah, it's just, it's just a very odd floor plan. And again, it was, they must've really liked to, to do laundry and stretch out in there or whatever. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, then have such a small kitchen. So yeah, it seems like there was a lot of, sounds like a lot of challenges with that property. And we got it back up to spec and feeling good, looking good and, yep. and had some success there. I believe right, it appraised right. really well as well. So, yeah. you know, it was a win-win all across the board. And that client came back to us. I just finished another project with her uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And she sings our praises, you know, yeah. so that's, that's what we want. All right. So I love that story. Tell me, I guess, last question here. What What are some stumbling blocks? Like, where do you see investors going wrong with this? Like, is there a yeah. couple things where you think like, you know, there is there a common pattern where, you know, maybe some of our listeners right now are going through this. Like, what are you seeing stumbling blocks on working through projects like these? You know, I, I see some people hunting for a deal, getting frustrated by not finding their deal mm -hmm. and then convincing themselves that a bad deal is a good one. Now you're talking about when you say deal, you're talking about a deal to buy. Right. To purchase okay. a property. They're looking around, looking yep. to buy a property and just through frustration, or maybe they have this mindset of, I made this goal of buying three properties this year and, and, and come hell or high water, I'm doing it. Right. And, you know, there are just times where that opportunity isn't there, but they'll go ahead and buy something. And the double-edged sword is if they're underfunded, it's real hard to do something with it. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to take an impact on your rents. You're going to have some deferred maintenance. There's going to be something that just doesn't, doesn't make it a good deal. You know, right. if this is your first property or first couple of properties that can be the difference on success and, and, and struggle. Right. So what, but specifically talking about the managing and, and going through and doing one of these con big construction projects, mm -hmm. where do, and from your perspective, where do investors go wrong during this? So they bought the property and now, you know, they have to do this work. What, what are some, what are some stumbling blocks you go through? Is it, you know, being reluctant to move forward with quotes? Is it, you know, overanalyzing quotes? I mean, where do you see people just spending, just doing things that, that hurt them ultimately? Yeah, they can lock up. You know, I've seen mm -hmm. some people really get down into some, you know, the money spent is important, but I've seen some people lose days on market, lose, you know, increase their vacancy locked up on small costs as mm -hmm. you know i can go to home depot and i can buy this thing for this much and it shouldn't cost this much to install it right, right. well i i understand that but <laughs> you know right the guy that's doing it he has his tools he has his truck he has his insurance he has all these things that add to that cost right and that, that can kind of lock it up that this is what i expect to cost and you know i would expect to cost i can find a handyman in my neighborhood to do this for 25 bucks, you know, right. kind of thing. Well, your handyman may not be licensed. He may not be insured. Right. You know, there are those things. Probably not. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. It's if he's, if you're paying that kind of price, I guarantee you it's, you're putting yourself at risk. You would be putting yourself at risk if you used him for larger projects. Yeah. Yeah. And again, cheap labor. I like your, your, what you said earlier, cheap labor, Cheap product. Um, cheap product. Yeah. I think that's, I think they're, they're that's, we're definitely related. And, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll close on this, one of the things I think, and, I, and this is from just very anecdotal evidence I have, but I, I hear that if we say, Hey, investor, this, this rehab is going to cost 25,000. Okay. That sounds about right. 
Mm -hmm. Um, but once they start examining the quote is where things go wrong or they, in their minds, like, wait a minute, there's a light item here for blind replacement. There's no way that should be X. It should be, you know, and they start nitpicking and wanting, you know, it so becomes problematic where I think if you look at general numbers, um, it's like, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you know, with inflation over the last few years, I think sticker shock is just part of our reality. You know, we, we, uh, we see it every day, but if you're an investor who hasn't done a rehab in two or three years, um, you might be in for some sticker shock because things yeah. are just flat out more expensive. Yeah. I've heard that more than a few times. People are like, well, you know, five years ago when I did my last property, this is what I paid. I was like, yeah. And the world changed in the last yeah. three. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not the same world. You know, 2021 was probably the hardest year I've had. As far mm-hmm. as it was the most challenging, it was, it was, it was rough. Yeah. You know, what well, prices were changing every two weeks. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, Chris, this has been awesome. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, we hope everyone's picked up some information that will help them in their investing. We'll be back next month with another podcast. In the meantime, we encourage you to share this podcast with your investing friends. Leave us a review. And don't hesitate to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and please stay invested in your investment.